0: This episode of Two Scoops is brought to you by
1: Histoire, la musique.
0: Cam. Mr. B. Is it recording? You know it. Let's give the people something new. It's time to serve it up. What's the scoop? Let's go, serving it up, UK to the stage. No
2: tea, no shade, it's all grace. Nothing we can't discuss in this place. Black culture set the stage days. Two scoops, baby. Yeah. Two, two, two scoops.
0: This is episode number 12 of Tea Scoops. And I am your rough and ready co-host, Mr. B. Ooh.
2: And I'm your velvety, feel-so-good host, Cam. And we take this time to usher you all into the space that we are so honoured to share with the iconic David McAlmond. Hi there, everybody. It's great to be here with you. (laughs)
0: Thank you. Now, you should all know by now that our tagline is serving up for the culture. And today we are giving you an extra scoop of gelato, sorbet, sprinkles and all of that good stuff. David is a performer and academic based in Croydon and Brixton. David's pronouns are he, him. He identifies as queer. His ethnic origin is Guyanese and Nigerian. As my nan would say, mix up, mix up. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yes, David has a stunning back catalogue of nine albums, his first being McAlmont, which was released in 1994. David scored a top 10 hit in 1995 with the McAlmond and Butler single, Yes, from the album The Sound of McAlmont and Butler on Virgin Records. Shortly thereafter, David recorded an acclaimed set with British film composer Michael Nyman. In addition to recording with Nyman, he has recorded with Golden Globe winner Craig Armstrong and Grammy-winning Bond composer David Arnold.
0: In 2012, David began his second degree in the history of Western art and architecture at the University of London's Birkbeck, which he completed in 2016. Since then, David has worked on numerous projects, including Girl, Boy, Child, In this, he delves into the UK's National Trust houses and explores their LGBTQ histories. David has also lectured at the Wallace Collection and National Portrait Gallery. His past works also include Portrait of Black Queer Britain and Queer Perspectives, both at the National Portrait Gallery, Out at the Wallace Collection, and Herculean Angst, a Black and Queer Reading of Hercules.
2: David joined the faculty at the Architectural Association Interprofessional Studio in London, where he is currently the Studio Diploma Master. David is now working on The JLD Files, a performance-based project based on the life of Jacques-Louis David, which we will be able to experience in the year 2025, as well as Permissible Beauty, the Black queer British gaze on stately beauties. So without further ado, folks, we welcome to Two Scoop's with pleasure, avec plaisir, David McAlmond. Welcome, 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 David.
1: Namaste, scoops. Very great and honourable, honoured to be in your company. Thanks for having me.
2: How's your week been so far?
1: It's been a really good week. Uh, I have an Israeli colleague. And as you know, uh, we've been uh, teaching online for the last two years, 18 months. And so it's been a Fortnight of is she alive or is she dead? Frankly, and some really hairy, harrowing reports of what it's been like to um, be running from Tel Aviv and back to Jerusalem to try and find shelter, and the distress of the um, Israelis. And it's quite striking because uh, the sympathy, you know, with good reason, goes to the Palestinians because we bear in mind the um, powerful and their access to arsenals, hearts and minds. But at the same time, there are still Israeli children who want, who can't function unless they're being held by their parents. And my friend was on the motorway one night uh, having to shelter in a lay-by as sirens screamed and hundreds of missiles flew visibly over her head. And then she's an Israeli um, Jewish woman, but she speaks about her Palestinian students and she speaks about her Palestinian colleagues. And she told me a really moving story about getting back to Jerusalem having to run from Tel Aviv because that had become too dangerous um, for shelter. So she returned to Jerusalem and was working in a cafe where she met this Palestinian couple who were upset about the fact that they couldn't have their wedding in Jerusalem. They couldn't plan it, but she was planning too because both she and the Muslim people considered Jerusalem sacred and that's where they Mm -hmm. both wanted to have their families. And then when I spoke to her on Friday, uh, while she was teaching and feeling a lot happier about the ceasefire, a pilaster on her building fell off and crashed into the street. Oh my gosh. So, uh yeah, I mean but but despite that, she was really cheerful and it was really great to see her so happy. And uh yeah, uh it's that's, that, that 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 was one of the best things about this week. Otherwise, really good news about the film that we're working on, um, which is the f- uh, film called Permissible Beauty. Oh, and I've been Diploma Unit Master at the Architectural Association for one year, and we had our review this week, mm. and um, we passed. Yes! <laughs> yeah. the, stu- the students <laughs> Congratulations. were all good with me, so I'm there for another year, which makes me very happy.
0: So we're going to dive straight into the scoop of the week.
2: Here we are for another segment of Scoop of the Week. So three months ago, Mr. B and I started this journey on a cheeky whim and cute little idea of, girl, let's do a podcast. So with affirmation not only um, by our friends and family, but also from other podcast hosts, we decided to just take the plunge, not knowing what the heck we were doing or getting into, but we were just like, let's just do it. Um, And so initially we thought that, you know, we're entering into a pretty crowded market, because, you know, there there are now a good number of podcasts with Black and gay themes. Um, but, you know, I think we both really agree that there cannot be enough of these podcasts and enough of these media platforms in general that Amen. tell our stories. Like, factually, there aren't enough when you compare it to the amount of podcasts and the like that are run by by white people, frankly. So I want to take this opportunity to send some flowers to some of the other podcasts who continue to add to this richness of our our black and LGBTQ plus communities across the globe. Um, so from the auditory beauty of the podcast being seen hosted by the amazing Darnell Moore to the raw Unapologetic, key key vibes that Miles Hart has in his podcast. Get the belt. Uh, we had a lot of podcasts that not only served as our market research, but moreover as inspiration. And so, some others I want to lift up include out of the UK. In addition to Get the Belt, we have Growing Up with Gal Dem, Black Boy Joy podcast, Two Twos podcast, The Eight O Two. Wolves in the City, and of course, Busy Being Black. And out of the States, in addition to being seen, we have Catch My Black and Gay, Him Podcast, Slick Talk, which just wrapped there, everything. So they're no longer recording, but they have a whole host of episodes you can get into And then last but definitely not least, The Read by Kid Fury and Crystal, which has definitely been a pillar for us all, um, all of our Black and gay voices in the podcast world and just in media overall. So go check out these podcasts, which only really hit the tip of the iceberg of telling our stories. There are so many more out there. Um, You know, they say there's no money in podcasting and they're mostly right unless you are now on the read level but (laughs) uh for those of us who are not there yet please 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 support with your likes your reviews and your downloads most importantly uh all the podcasts i mentioned will be written in the episode description and if you have any podcast suggestions for us definitely send us a dm and an email because we love getting into all of our brothers sisters and cousins across the podcast world thank you
0: Gorgeous, gorgeous, Cam. Thanks for that. My scoop of the week is Ajamu X again, and I think he was my first scoop of the week
1: ten mm-hmm. episode,
0: ten episodes ago. Um, and he always gets an honorary mention in our podcast. So for those that still don't know, Ajamu X is a scholar, archive creator, and radical sex activist. And his latest exhibition is called a Jammu, Archival Censura. This exhibition is a celebration of black queer life and an intergenerational tribute to the creativity of the LGBTQ plus and gender non-conforming lives. This exhibition is so thought-provoking. It's personal. And you can really feel that. It's relevant, very sexy, and most importantly, it's radical. The exhibition is free and all you need to do is hop on to www.cubitartists.org.uk to book in your slot. Get into it.
2: Awesome. Thank you for that. And of course, uh, that information will also be in the episode description.
0: I'm going to be totally frank and I hope you don't take this the wrong way. But I feel like a lot of the girls in my generation don't fully... mm, don't fully appreciate how much of a black, queer, British icon you are. And you've many accomplishments under your belt so far. Your career has spanned across music, art, culture and academia. I'd like to start off with asking you, how do you feel seen within the LGBTQ community?
1: Oh, wow. Wow. Well, first of all, thank you. I think one of the conclusions that I've come to is that a lot of people probably don't recognize that because I haven't made it my business to have it recognized. Mm. Um, I. It was important to me that I be out from the beginning, but in many ways, Making records and releasing records and becoming that kind of figure uh, was synonymous with a liberation. I mm-hmm. coming out and becoming a pop star that there aren't there isn't much of a gap in time between those two things. Okay, and I think that there are, and I call them the one percent in the music industry. Those people who are all sewn up. From day one they know exactly what they want and they've always wanted it they've always aspired to it the um, ambition the aspiration has been a list star and everything that they have done with their life has been bent towards that goal that's not not, that that, that's not the case with me I've kind of uh, come to singing because singing came naturally but I didn't actually think that that was my purpose I thought that I would be a musical theatre actor and that I'd be a dancer. And then I went to um, Middlesex University to study performing arts. And I went into the dance studio and I couldn't count. Mm. And so the dancing died. (laughs) Uh, Immediately? (laughs) I couldn't count. Uh, That just really pricked that bubble. And so I was left with acting and singing And then I decided that I couldn't laugh authentically or weep authentically on cue. Whereas I thought that the standard bearers were people who could produce tears and I knew I couldn't do that. So I didn't think there was much hope for me as an actor. And so all that was left was singing. And um, throughout my life, people had suggested or hinted that I might have a capability. And so I auditioned for a band in ninety nineteen ninety one 1991 and that worked and so i mm. kept I, I i stuck to that but what happened with that was that i left middlesex i didn't complete my degree there to become this singer and you know it's a career that's still going you know nine albums uh several tours and concerts later uh i am a sort of a name and a face. I don't think I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not in the 1% and that's okay with me because um, that's too much scrutiny. And actually, when things have been going really well, and there's been a lot of scrutiny, it's not been great for me. I'm mm. Yeah, I'm more of a, I'm, I'm more private than that. I'm more of a hermit than that. Yeah, so um, I think that's uh, why uh, some so I haven't really invested in making that. So I've got this timetable of things that I do, and Wednesday is supposed to be brand day, but Wednesday is usually the day that I go and do other things. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sitting down working on my brand. <laughs> but, but uh, the academic disquiet began to build as the years passed, and I made more records and did more concerts and so on. And, you know, there were um, moments of high fortune and moments of low. I um, just began to feel really bothered that I wasn't furthering my education. So that's why I returned to a university to do a degree. And that changed everything for the better.
2: I love that. Um, The word that kept popping in my head was longevity. And it's so rare that you find an artist with longevity... As long as you have, and you know, you still have, you, you, you have who you are, (laughs) essentially from, from, from when it began to now, obviously we all change, but I get this sense that you still have the essence of, of you versus so many artists that you, you hear of these days that just the machine takes them over. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, Yeah. And there's a vested interest that they have in playing the machine. And I, I, I I admire lots of those artists. George Michael is a huge favourite. I've enjoyed many Madonna records and they have that drive. I think it was Rufus um, Wainwright who said that um, there's something very disturbing about Madonna. There's some megalomania going on there. Mm. You know, know, I think that um, in a country where the safety net is not a guarantee, that uh, that instills a certain drive in people, which is why I think you have so many major... Uh, talents in the U.S. because the competition is so fierce and if they don't Mm. make money uh, the support that there is for them isn't great it's a little bit better here but uh, what we do have is an NHS what we do have is benefits (laughs) when I came back here from Guyana in 87 um, I was able to buy four Prince albums with my first benefit check not wow. the first thing not the not what I should have done, but that's what I did. But <laughs> look, <laughs> Prince is essential, okay? Right? <laughs> yeah, and I you, around the world in a day, parade, purple rain, and uh sign of the times. That's what I did with my first supplementary benefit check from the DHS. <laughs> you went uh-huh. you
0: went to school in Guyana, right? Yeah, yeah.
1: I was I was in Guyana from the age of eleven to twenty, so i yeah i i went to primary school finished primary school there and then went to high school in Guyana but um to me what what what's taken me taken me by surprise and what I quite like is the um inspiration thing because uh, I had that realization um about twenty twelve that everything that I was capable of vocally or whatever could go. Oof. You know, it could be taken away. You know, there could be an accident. I could be, you know, like Julie Andrews have a really bad outcome from a nodule operation and boom, that vocal's gone. So the thing that I um, have been working on and the thing that I've been maintaining ever since is being inspired so that uh, if the obvious, you know, um, means of expression does subside or is taken away i still know how to keep myself creative and inspired so that's what that that that's my creative priority i would say being inspired and inspiring
2: so Debbie, you briefly mentioned earlier about you in your your early youth and i'm assuming this was in guyana where you started to really explore your own sexuality and the tools you were using uh to explore that can you go a bit into that and how that really fit into the space of being in Guyana and how you felt in your own body and in the space, the spaces you occupied.
1: You know, uh, uh, every now and then, particularly in recent years, I have this jolt when I think about a particular moment in the late 1970s, because I went to Guyana in 1978, And it was a drastic difference, to everything that I knew, because I grew up with television and comics and boiled sweets and all of the things that it meant to be an English kid. And then I went to Guyana and there was no cold. (laughs) There was rain, but it was heavy and warm and there was no television. Flower had been banned. There were no apples, there were no comics, there was no, you know, it was like that. It was completely different, and there were mosquitoes. And my mother is uh, from the countryside in Guyana, so I went from living in a little town in Norfolk to um, a a, a village called Lovely Less in a place called Babise in Guyana. And I remember my sister and I recreating <laughs> what we saw on television. As a child, I loved Danny LaRue. Uh, he was on TV, which meant it was fine. And so I went to Guyana, and whilst my sister and I were recreating, I created a character called Dave La, and started putting on my cousin's clothes and my cousin's high heels and doing all of that. And somehow I worked crazy horse into it. Now I don't know if you've seen um, those dancers, but they're the ones who dance and kick their legs up with the frilly mm-hmm. um, petticoats, and um, then they turn around, and they lift their skirts up, right? <laughs> and I was doing all of that, and I remember the way my mother's family would sit down there just looking at me, and then if, and, and and then one night my mother said, "Run in," and I knew okay. I can't do this. This whatever I'm on whatever I'm unclear about on the expressions of those faces that when my mother makes that sound it's like no stop this stop yeah. this and so I stopped it. And at the time it was like well I don't know why I don't know why that's an issue. It wasn't an issue where I come from which was like I came from England, you know I. But now when I think about it I'm like oh my god you didn't. <laughs> And how old were you when you eleven? When you had this cut? eleven. Okay, yeah. eleven. Yeah, but it was so funny because um, I've got to do a uh, record a short video for Radio Six, and they've asked and, and they've asked me to do a two to three minute uh, clip about a, a gay icon, and I've chosen Sylvester, and so I've been mm. catching up on my Sylvester reading. And uh, it was very interesting to find that Sylvester did exactly the same thing. If you watch Torch Song Trilogy, you have that as well. You know, that moment where a young uh, boy uh, doesn't see the difference, doesn't see the issue with dressing however they wish. And it's only that moment where the parent says, no, that is not acceptable. But what happens when I become a pop singer First thing I do: earrings, long hair, feathers, cross, and it resumes and everything. <laughs> I've
0: a similar story. You know, I used to walk down in my auntie's clothes and mm. give a full fashion show, and mm. you know, didn't even give it a second thought. Mm. But then, but something did change because later on, you know, in my early teens, with my nan, now I used to do my own little runways in her in her you know fur jackets and heels (laughs) so I knew that was something that was just for me and something to hide but when you were 11 years old and you got and you got this reaction from your family and your mum did you did you link that in with anything else or was it just this is wrong I need to shut this down
1: uh my mother um like many Car- caribbean parents of that generation was um you know a, a a a serious disciplinarian and it was just if your mother makes that sound there are things that you don't do right and so it's like you know I, I i didn't question it i just knew that just just knew that i shouldn't but i but, but 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 i knew the manner of as i described um my rebellion when that moment came and um my mother Speaks about my voice. Even now, she wished I, I, that I had become an accountant, because that's what she told everybody when I was growing up. <laughs> that um, you know, he's going to be an accountant. That 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 was the decision that she'd made for my future, and no attention paid at all to how bad I was at mathematics. It's just now my mother disapproved, and that was that. And my mother still disapproves of elements of my life. You know, there's nothing I can do about that.
0: I feel you. I hate using the term masculine and feminine, but I feel like so many of us in our community have this moment in our lives where we need to hide that masculine or feminine energy that we have. Mm. That's a massive part of us. So happy to hear that you, that you had that moment of rebellion. We were able to just be free and be yourself. When was it safe for you to come out? Was it when you started your your music career?
1: Uh, coming out was... Um, okay, I got to Guy and then when I was 11, two years later, I accepted Christ as my personal saviour. And uh, I would say that at that age of 13, I, I I link it to this moment. I know that I loved Julie Andrews. <laughs> and um but i was doing that david de uh, routine i wouldn't recognize any of those things as making me you know um not straight or gay or queer or whatever what or, or, or whatever the preferable term is but uh on the other side of that i note my sister's uh boyfriend walked into the house when i was 13 years old like and it was someone that she'd met sh- shortly after she'd converted, we converted about the same time. I was probably about six months after she had. And I noticed that body. And um, that was when I knew that I was attracted to something that I shouldn't be as it it were. And so my whole Christian um, episode, if you will, which was uh, 13 to 21 was just this prayer Like, God almighty, cure me of this illness, you know, Preached breached against it in the altar. You know, there was a a definite um, homophobia um, uh, that I noticed in the bullying, um, in the things that were spoken in the pulpit, in the things that were said to me in the streets. Um, So I was like, heal me. You want me to fast? Okay, I'll fast. I'll do the three. I'll do the seventy-two day fast. I'll pray every morning. I'll read my Bible every night. I'll be at church every other day. Just heal me. And so, in 2021, when I came back, and there was a lot of resistance from uh, the congregation to me leaving Georgetown to come back to London. It's like if you go back to London, it's all over. Because I confided in them about my sexuality as well, and like saying I'm afflicted with a demon of homosexuality. And they took me around the country to get the demon cast out and all of that stuff. So oh, when I said yeah. I was coming back to London, it was like, no, don't do it. I came back and in London, I thought, you know what? I've been asking you for seven long years to cure me of this and you're not going to cure me. So if that's the case, I'm going to have a bloody good time before I go to hell. Yes, 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 My. yes. <laughs>
0: David I feel you on on every single word of that honestly and that sounds brutal um it's almost you know it's, it's 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 conversion therapy yeah and you know call it whatever you want but but that's what it is but that feeling of crying into your pillow or praying to god praying to your god like you know I'm doing everything I can right now I'm reading the scripture. I'm showing up. I don't want to be gay. I don't want this devil inside of me. Why won't you, you know, get rid of it? I, I know what that feels like. I've had those conversations. And I hope, I hope, I hope there are some young folk who will come, you know, who will listen to this and hear this and, and, and find peace because all we can do is, is live in our truth whatever
1: that looks like yeah and some so, so, some years later uh it's it, it 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 becomes part of the art because uh there was something going on with david there was something going on with that david the psalmist okay you know and I remember hearing my pastor preaching about, and Jonathan loved David as a man would love a woman. And the preacher would say, now this is not a description of homosexuality. This is a description of a very intimate male friendship. Okay, girl. And then I kind of like, you know, the scales, if you will, fell from my eyes with Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, he maketh me to lie down down. (laughs) in green pastures, he leadeth me by the still waters, he restorest my soul, his rod and thy staff, they comfort me, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies, wait, thou anointest my head with oil. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Brother
0: David, thank you for joining the congregation
1: today. See what I'm saying, though? It's like, okay, well, if we're we're interpreting, (laughs) thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me.
0: Wow, 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 wow. My mind, my brain, my head.
2: feels. (laughs) 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 And that's just one psalm. (laughs) So we fast forward and you've returned to London against their suggestion. (laughs) I mean, pretty much liberation, yeah? Or was it an easy transition back? You know, completely different world, although you had experienced it as a young child. But now as an adult, what was that like in what would be then the 80s?
1: That was 87. Yeah. I mean, those feelings that I described before did actually happen here. Uh, So I remember going into um, W.H. Smith in 1987, picking up a copy of Time Out to find out what was going on in London and um, finding the lesbian and gay section and dropping the magazine like a hot stone. I was still in that place. But then when that pain got too much for me to live with, I went straight to Time Out magazine. And I still actually have that copy of Time Out magazine that took me to my first um, gay uh, chat meeting. Oh, and thank God I found that because I could so easily have um, been um, gravitated to gravitated to the pub. But I turned a time out and I found a meeting called Fusion. And it was a meeting. And that night they were discussing um, racism and sexuality. So I thought, OK, I can go somewhere and have a conversation with gay men. And I met my first partner there, uh, who is uh, still uh, my best friend, I guess. Oh,
0: wow.
1: Um, but, yeah... uh. <sighs> After that, um, when I decided I was leaving the church, it was like, right, what am I going to do instead? You know, I realized that it had become a re- really important activity and that it took up a lot of space and uh, prevented a lot of loneliness. So that recognition, I guess, made me feel that I needed to do something. And the choice was, OK, well, let's see if this thing that people have been saying about your singing is true. Let's join a band. Let's. Uh, so I found uh, this... newspaper called the melody maker and this ad just sang out to me and the ad said wanted singer for band black white male female gay straight doesn't matter and i was like are you kidding me (laughs) so i applied and i got i I got the audition and i and i fronted the band and i've been recording and performing ever since
0: david and was that journey, your music journey or your journey into the arts. Because before you went on to that, I was going to ask, how did you remedy those feelings, um, what I call Christian guilt? And was music and art a remedy for that? Or did
1: you have other means of... Well, I don't think, um, I, I, I don't think we should ever underestimate the irreligiosity of the British um <laughs> they really are i mean cuz if you think about it you think about these appalling um acts that were committed by european peoples against other peoples of the world and what did they do when they arrived they arrived with a cross mm. but we but they knew what they were doing mm-hmm. they weren't no holy people they just knew that okay this is what we do when we show up and we take people's land from them we say that's, that god has something to do with it And one of the blessings that I had when I met these, my first gay people, as it were, um, my first gay associates, and some of whom became my friends, was uh, that they were just so, you know... Um, the, the 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 Bible's full 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 of um, nonsense. Um, Jesus said God is love, and everything that Saint Paul said um, after that uh, just tried to rewrite everything that Jesus said. It's a setup. It's you know Catholicism, and, and it's like oh bloody hell! I mean, really that easily? <laughs> so for for a good two years, I was quite nervous that you know I was going to hell still. Yeah, and slowly over time that ebbed. And then studying art history really put the nail in the coffin because it was like uh, that all of the um, early art that we look at from uh, the medieval period um, right up to the Renaissance is uh, funded by the church, which is um, certainly the Catholic Church was arguably um, one of the world's first great corporations. And if you think about uh, the Pope, for example, uh, you are talking about an early Brussels. And when you think about uh, Protestantism in England, you know, ring any bells? Brexit? Don't want to be part of Europe? Yep. Um, Protestantism, Henry VIII, don't want the Catholic Church, that guy in Italy, telling us in England how we should behave. And so, um
2: clock the parallels, y'all. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. and then uh, the Bible, uh, the, the 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 Jews have their book, and then there are all of these epistles by the people who su- supposedly follow Jesus around, and then year by year, decade by decade, men of the cloth meeting and like you know fighting over whether they should include this book or not. My sister, who is a very devout woman looks at the Bible and believes that it is the Word of God. But art historical teaching shows that, you know, um, white European men <laughs> who had a range of really diff- um, dodgy attitudes, you know, decided what this book should be. And King James's version ratified, okay, this is the collection. And that's a problem for me. That's an issue. But my sister won't hear it, of course, because she believes.
2: Yeah. When you look at the history, you know, dealing with any sort of conflict, history always manages to actually set records straight in terms of, uh, especially when it comes to people's belief about something, which is a bit less concrete. But when you look at history, which so many people like science um, nowadays, choose to ignore it's actually like well the answer is actually literally right there and i never understand why even though it is right there <laughs> that too is written why that isn't gets believed rejected. by a you hu- yeah exactly it gets rejected by a huge amount of people
1: well that's uh one of the reasons i mean it, it, it happened this week and suzanne moore from the guardian wrote a fantastic blog about the way that they've just rewritten history right before our eyes. The whole Martin Bashir thing. Uh, Like somebody uh, posted on their Facebook page, I don't know if you've seen this meme, um, it's a picture of Prince Charles saying, um, that bastard Martin Bashir took my penis and put it in Camilla. (laughs) Right? Wow. You know, it's like, um, right, 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 right now, it's like a... Diana had nothing to complain about. The Asian guy did it to her. Mm. Can we be real about this? Okay. So um, that's it. That's, that, that, that's history all over. Nicole Hannah-Jones in, um, in the US who doesn't get her tenured professorship, even though she's fully entitled and enormously accomplished. How many people have created a 1617 project? You know, such a phenomenal piece. But they cannot accept that before the Mayflower... There was the white lion. It's not acceptable to the to the origin story. We can't tell the American story that way, beginning with black people. No, and so they shut her down. They give her a five-year contract instead of like tenureship, which is for life. Ugh. This is um this 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 is what we're doing with history all the time. And the people with the power are the ones who can, you know, rebuff. It's the same with. The creation with, with, with the intelligent design and the creationists. It's like, no, we cannot have this uh, history of the world being scientific and beginning with a big bang.
2: Because hmm.
1: then that way you can't have Genesis.
2: Mm. And then the rest. Is, <laughs> what about the rest apart. of my Bible then, you know?
0: <laughs> David, I could, I'm sure I could, I'm, I'm going to speak for both of us. You know, we, we could sit and listen to you all day. Especially when it comes to you breaking down the Bible <laughs> um, in an authentic, truthful way, but in our extra scoop, we are going to delve into what it means to be an elder, <laughs> whatever that whatever that means to to you, and an aging for all of us, but. To tie things up nicely, and it's a question we asked Mark Thompson a few episodes ago. If you could tell your sixteen-year-old self something today,
1: what would it be? If I could tell my sixteen-year-old self, self something, it would be love on your maths. So, what? So, literally, learn your times tables. Embrace your numbers. Okay. Ah. Mhm. So that that you know when with uh, 40 years from now you know you're all over those figures. Mhm. Um don't live your, don't, don't if 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 you can if you can at all avoid it don't live your life with that handicap I think that has held me back. Another answer <laughs> that I would give to my 16 um year old self is that uh there is freedom. You know, there is freedom that uh you don't experience that that, that you might not be experiencing now because you're in your mother's house and uh, your mother is paying your way, she's pushing you through school she's buying your uniform she's struggling and it's difficult for her because your father uh, has left but you know uh, try and hear uh, you will have resentments they will get better and you will be able to say I love you mum but you're wrong Mm. yeah Right now, she might clap you. <laughs> say that to her, <laughs> but she won't always. And, 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 and at some point in the future, you know, so chill, 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 you'll have your moment. That's what I would say to my 16 year old self.
2: Thank you so much. As Mr. B said in our extra scoop, which is to follow, we'll get more into what it is to be David McAlmond today. And until then, you can keep up with David on Instagram at McAlmondOfficial and on Twitter at David McAlmond.
0: You can communicate with us via email at contact at twoscoopspodcast.com and on Instagram at Podcast, and on Twitter at twoscoops underscore pod. Catch us next time for another episode of
2: Two Scoops. Two Scoops.
1: Two Scoops.